It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. Very excited about today's episode. It was a conversation with Jim Barnett, longtime Warriors television announcer, and we talked about the NBA Finals, what we're looking forward to, what we expect for about a half an hour. I hope and expect that you all enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. I'm happy to be with you, Danny. I'm really excited for this year's finals because at least at the start, it looks like these teams are going to be close to full strength health-wise. And that's something that we really haven't seen between these two teams. And it adds a different dynamic that I'm, I'm just excited to see. I am too. And I hope it stays that way. I hope that uh, everyone can be fully healthy throughout the entire series, whether it goes four games, five, six, or seven. I'd like to see that. Uh, it's a pretty epic encounter here when you think about three years in a row and I guess I I hadn't really known that but I guess it's never happened before in NBA history where the same teams met in the NBA finals three in three successive years you know the Warriors won it back in 2015 and last year were the Cavs so this is basically what you call the rubber match and the rubber match this year also features a new a big new addition in Kevin Durant and something that basically the, it seems like everybody's been talking about is really how the Warriors are going to use him in this series and it's interesting on both ends of the floor but I think the bigger difference for me between Durant and Harrison Barnes which of course is not a fair comparison to Harrison but that's the way these things go is I think it's bigger on the defensive end and do you have a sense for where you think the Warriors are going to use Durant and how they're going to whether they're going to put him on LeBron or not? You know, that remains to be seen, and I'm curious about that myself. And I would think that you might see that uh, unless Andre Iguodala is on the floor, and, and that'll shift, of course. But it's, it's interesting what you said about the defensive end. Obviously, Kevin Durant is a better shot blocker than Harrison Barnes, but I'm not sure if he can defend the lane against bulky players as well as Harrison. I thought Harrison was pretty remarkable for his size he had a great lower body strength and he could hold his own in there and he kind of anticipated moves. You know, I, I think Harrison Barnes probably would do a better job on Zach Randolph than Kevin Durant because I, I've noticed this year, every game that Kevin had a tough time with Zach Randolph and players of that stature that, you know, are kind of bulky and, and kind of bowl you over a little bit back to the basket type of player. So I think on the perimeter, he can stay with uh, LeBron James, obviously, and LeBron James is not going to be exactly like Zach Randolph going inside. But I, but I think he's got the lower body strength to do that if he anticipates, and, but he's got to lower his center of gravity. But the, that shot blocking ability that he has and the help defender, the defensive 
attributes that he possesses as well, because he can come from one side to the other and block someone's shot because he's very, very quick in that regard. I'm going to be interested to see how much time Durant spends on Kevin Love because Love is, you know, he has certain parts of his build that are similar to Zach Randolph, but I don't think he plays with as much force. So if he doesn't get into Durant's body as much as Randolph did, then Durant's so long that he can he can force Love into some bad shots. I don't know that we'll see that matchup that much when the Cavs are on offense, but we could see it a little bit, especially when Iguodala is on the floor. Yeah, I do, it's, it's an interesting scenario with, with their team, Cleveland. And the more I see Kevin Love, the only time I don't see him go inside and ask for the ball quite as much, unless he has a small man on him, then he'll post up and he tries to hold his position. But I see him crashing the offensive glass. He's really, really good at that. He's smart. He has a nose for the ball. But offensively, when you say, you know, who is he? He seems very content to go to the three-point line and, and wait there and let LeBron do his work and hopefully get a look at the ball. I, I think he's kind of, in, in a way, I don't want to say complacent, but he's not as aggressive offensively. You, you know, you don't give him the ball. He doesn't play like LeBron. He doesn't play like Kevin Durant. He doesn't play like anybody I know, uh, you know, or Kyrie Irving. He doesn't play like Stephen Curry. And, and maybe there's a little similarity in that if you're a catch-and-shoot player, you're like Clay Thompson or Kevin Love. But I've seen him be more of a catch-and-shoot player, and especially this year. There's also this dynamic that's been true for the for the Cavs the last two years, which is that they feed Love a lot early and then just completely go away from him. He had 10 points. I think it was in game four or game five. He had 10 points in the first like four or five minutes, and then he only had five points in the rest of the game. And I mean, they have other great options. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, they need to feed him more because he's the only way they can succeed. But it is different. And that also, you know, the idea that he gets a little bit more passive as the game goes on bodes well for the Warriors just because the best way to beat them on offense is to have as many options firing at the same time. Well, I, I understand that. It's interesting. I'm going to go back to what you said earlier on. Sometimes he'll get hot and then they'll forget about him. And that goes to my point that he, he carries some of that burden himself. He's got to demand the ball and he's got to want the ball and he's got to, and whether he does it vocally or goes and takes the ball out of someone's hand or put himself in a position where they have to throw the ball to him. So that's where, that's what I'm saying. Uh, it seems to me that he's, uh, as I said, I don't want to use the word passive, but he seems content to let others do a lot of work and he'll just kind of float around and he'll take it as it comes. There are a lot of intriguing matchups. This is a, uh, an incredible series because both teams shoot the three ball very well. They shoot from three point range tremendously and they've got a lot of different people that can shoot threes. You've got a lot of people that can score inside. Nothing would surprise me in this series. Well, I guess this, this would surprise me and it's not going to happen. If all of a sudden Cleveland swept the Warriors, you know, the Warriors are undefeated 12 and 0 going into the finals. That's never happened before. And, and that's not going to happen. But would it completely surprise me if the Warriors got it all going together and they swept Cleveland? I can see that scenario a little easier than I can with, with Cleveland even winning the series unless it went to seven games or something like that. Danny, that's such a toss-up in so many ways. And Cleveland's going to try to come in here in a week and try to steal one of the first uh, two games. And if they succeed in that, then they're going to have a, an advantage because they've taken away the home court advantage. And I, I just think that the, the, to my little gut feeling about things, and we can dissect each player and what they're going to do, but I think the Warriors, obviously they've been stationed and waiting for this since 
September 15th, October 15th. They wanted to shift it to April 15th immediately. That was their agenda. They don't talk about it a whole lot. They just go about their business. And, you know, even like right now, they've won 27 of their last 28 games. The, the game they lost was the next to last game of the season where they gave it away to Utah. Didn't play any starters in the fourth quarter. So we can, we can guess and we can speculate on all of these things. And I had a, someone asked me the other day on some radio show and he said, okay, LeBron and Kevin Durant, that's a wash. Kyrie Irving, Steph Curry, that's a wash. And then they used Draymond Green and Kevin Love, and that's a wash. They were comparing those two. And I begged to differ with him because I, I don't think that's a wash when you talk about the, are they the third most important player on the team? Are they the most, you know, Draymond Green is, is unique in his defensive abilities. And he's had a pretty good run offensively, particularly from three-point range in the playoffs. So I'd rather have Draymond Green than Kevin Love because he plays defense. And we'll see if Kevin Love attempts to play any defense in in this series. And I think it's also the idea of kind of surplus value. So Kevin Love is a really good offensive player, but there are a lot of times when Cleveland doesn't really need that. But he's not great defensively, and Cleveland needs that. So I think that's a, a big factor right. in all this, is that you want that kind of balance. And I can see, you talked about the idea of kind of a sweep versus a sweep. The other way that I would think about it is, I think the Warriors are more likely to win a game by 25 than the Cavs are. And I think that bodes, bodes right. well, too. I mean, if, if it's a five-point game, it gets closer, because both teams have really talented crunch time scorers. But something that I think is an underrated part of this Warriors season, and you and I both have follow them for a long time you far longer than I but I remember after last season the players were really shaken by what happened I I went to exit interviews and just the the way that they kind of were talking about the season the way they were thinking about it because they won 73 and 9 but they didn't win the championship they lost game seven on their home floor and I think that something that got lost in the shuffle because it happened so rarely was this year, with the probable exception of game one against the Spurs, the Warriors had specific games this year that they really got up for, that they're like, this is one. And of course, both of the Cleveland games were there. And in both of the Cleveland games in particular, they started out hot and they played well and then they fell apart on Christmas, but they didn't fall apart in the game at Oracle on Martin Luther King Day. So I think that we when we saw this Warriors team at their best, they were just so much better than we even saw for most of the year. You're doing the show. You, you don't need me on the show, Danny. You know what's going on. <laughs> Someone needs to interview you on their podcast. Oh, it no, happens happen sometimes. You know, but yeah, I mean, but, but do you, did no, you see I the same thing too? When like that there were certain moments this year where they were like, okay, this is a time that yes. we really want it. Yes. And they do have that capability. Uh, it's kind of a dangerous thing, but they do have the capability of turning it on and off at, at times. And I think, and I believe that they play well under adverse conditions. You know, how many times did they get behind this year by 15 or more points and they came back and win the game? They did it, I don't know, 16, 17 times. They did it without Kevin Durant, by the way, late in the season. I think it was March 31st in San Antonio when they got down by 20 or 22 in that game and they came back and won. And they they have this, and it, and it does stem from last year, particularly is buried in Stephen Curry. And it's, it's a resolve. If there's a something, there's this toughness, mental toughness that they have. And there's a resolve that's, you know, going inside Draymond Green and Stephen Curry. And they're, they're the two that I see that in particular. Draymond Green's been made no bones about it. You know, he says if, you know, he meet, if he were going to meet the Cavs in the finals, this is earlier this year that he wants to destroy them. You know, that's Draymond. He's very outspoken. Stephen Curry's a little more subtle about it. He keeps it to himself, but 
you, you can't underestimate his competitive spirit and his mental toughness. And they, they do remember last year, as I say, they don't like to verbalize it and talk about it a whole lot, but it's kind of within their own little pack there. Uh, and yes, they can explode because for one thing, for one thing that they have, they can turn up the defense. And when they turn up their defense, all hell breaks loose because they disrupt the offense of the other team and they go on these incredible runs. And I've, I, I like, liken them back to the, the Celtics, which no one even counts, way back in the late 50s and the 60s when they won eight straight championships in 11 and 13 years with Russell. But that doesn't count because that's almost like prehistoric time. So you won't count them, but we'll go to the 80s with the Lakers and the Celtics, and in particular the Lakers in that era. They could make these incredible incredible runs with Worthy and Magic Johnson and Kareem uh, and Byron Scott and everybody, uh, Michael Cooper. And, you know, they go on a 16 to two run and, and people now, it seems like they call time out a little sooner so that you can't get hurt that, that severely, but the Warriors have that capability and it stems from first of all, their defense, you know, getting deflections and getting steals and then getting into the open court like that. And that's where they, that's where they thrive because it makes, Clay Thompson, a better shooter rather than a half court going around. He just goes to some spot open, uh, open spot there and they find him or Kevin Durant the same way. Stephen Curry, he's going to launch. He doesn't look for anybody else. He comes down and takes that first early jump shot from 30 feet out and he, and he feels it and he's got it going. And when I say about Durant, he doesn't really wait for that three point shot. He'll take it sometimes, but in those situations, he knows how to go to the basket, get himself to the line. That's a great advantage in and of itself. So, yeah, this team is explosive, and they can, they can erase a 12, a 14, 15-point lead in a matter of two minutes. They're, and no, there's no other team that's capable in that regard as the Warriors. The other thing that makes their best lineup so dangerous is that they don't really have the same kind of weak points on either end of the floor. So you think about, you know, a lot of good teams, and this is just the way that the NBA works. You know, you have a place where you can attack, like thinking back to that Grizzly series where you can keep a, you don't have to guard Tony Allen every second of every game, or on the other end, you know, you can exploit a guy in pick and roll, or you can just go after him in isolation. While, you know, not every warrior is great at everything, they don't have those just like easy attack points, which makes it so much harder for an opposing team to really get their balance because you just have, there are so many stressors when you face this team. Yes. And the way that the Warriors can attack Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love defensively, both those guys, wonderful players, legitimate all-stars, you can go after that. But like, so if the Warriors are playing Iguodala, let's say, let's say they're going to the Hamptons five. So what you're going to attack with the Warriors is probably you're going to leave Iguodala and maybe Draymond Green open on, on when they're on offense. And then on defense, you're probably going to go after Curry. But I don't think that's enough to really build an offense or a defense around. That just all remains to be seen. Uh, I, I agree with you about attacking weak spots. In the series against Utah, they l- ran a lot of ro- pick and rolls with Rudy Gobert because he didn't want to come out. And when he did come out, they could go around him. The, the same thing in the San Antonio spirit, uh, series because LaMarcus Aldridge, when he was playing the center spot, he does not want to leave the lane. And that's a vulnerable spot for him. And they get three-point shots and they get it just it breaks down the entire defense of San Antonio when they did that now can they do that against Cleveland can they find that you're right if if they have Kevin Love you certainly are going to see some pick and rolls where they he has to make a decision to switch 
and then defend somebody else, which he did, by the way, in game seven at the end when uh, he got switched on Stephen Curry. I thought Stephen was going to, this is the game they lost. And it was, you're talking the waning seconds of that game last year. And I thought Stephen was going to go around him and, and just going to get two, but he kept jockeying back and forth and he forced up a three and he made Kevin Love look like a good defender. So I, I agree that they will find someone to pick on, if you will. But like you say, Cleveland's going to do the same thing. I, I've got to be uh, very open and, and unbiased in this in evaluating Cleveland. And I'll tell you right now, yes, LeBron James, he's, been, he's playing at the top of his game right now. And if he's hitting threes, that's going to mean a lot. And, and the, the one guy that scares me more than anyone is Kyrie Irving because he can get around his man anytime that he wants. And is there any better finisher around the basket than he is? And especially, Danny, I will say this, both LeBron James and Kyrie Irving take advantage of the stretching or the expansion of the rules when you pick up your dribble more than anybody I've ever seen. I don't see Stephen Curry, maybe Durant once in a while. I don't see, and the people, and you know, broadcasters on TV or something call it a Euro step. Well, that's totally irrelevant. Euro step. I, I don't know. I'm not even sure they could even define that, but I will say it, to put it succinctly, we used to get one and a half steps. So if you pick the ball up, on a dribble and you terminated your dribble and you had both hands on the ball and your right foot was on the floor, you take a step with your left foot and then you jump. That's one step and a half because you've got to get rid of the ball, either shooting it or passing it before you hit the floor. And now they don't count that as a gather. And Danny, this is Kyrie Irving does that better than anybody else picks the ball up and you take one, two steps and then a jump. So you're really getting two and a half steps. LeBron does it, not all the time, but he does it. But what that enables you to do is you get to the basket from the top of the key, from beyond the, th- from the free throw line. We're, we're talking 20 feet away. You can pick the ball up and take two steps and still finish and with a dunk. And they know how to exploit that. And I'm not sure the Warriors do that as well, to tell you the truth. And you may think that's kind of a funny little thing, but I don't know how the heck you guard Kyrie Irving when he's able to do that. And if they don't count the gather, uh, with his quickness, he's going to beat anybody off the dribble. Once he does that, he picks that ball up. He's going to go by any interior defender. It's a great point. And it gets to something that I, I talked about the idea of single deficiencies. But what Cleveland can do with LeBron and Kyrie is that those are players that even if you do a great job defensively, you're not necessarily going to stop them. You know, like I think back to the play that Kyrie hit the game winner on Christmas. Clay Thompson played that as well defensively as you could. And Kyrie still made the shot because he's incredible and he can pull that off. Yep. And that's uh, the, the, the great players. They can play one-on-one like that with the quickness. They can do that. Jerry West, when they ran a play for him at the end of the game, there wasn't any play that involved anybody else. He told the other four players, get the heck out of the way, and I'll take my man one-on-one. And that's what he could do. And he was Mr. Clutch, and that's why they called him Mr. Clutch, because he made the shots. So he, he would not only take the shot, but he would make the shots more often than not. I've never seen a better clutch shooter in the history of the game. And that includes every player modern today. And that's what Kyrie Irving can do. He can take you one-on-one. He doesn't need a screen. He doesn't need help. It doesn't matter if you're a, a guard. It doesn't matter if you're a forward or a center. He's going to do what he wants and find a way to beat you that way because he's a great one-on-one basketball player. He is the consummate offensive player in this series that can score with the ball in his hands at any given time, probably better than anybody else, probably better than anybody else because 
of his quickness. And now he's got a pretty reliable jump shot. Yeah, and the fact that he can that he's so comfortable taking and making challenging shots, you know, like he, the Warriors a lot of times their offense with switching and everything is designed to have these teams opponents stagnate into one-on-one offense. <laughs> Kyrie Irving, that's what he does. So you the Warriors offense is kind of, defense is kind of designed to force Cleveland into the shots that Kyrie wants in the first place. Well, yeah. You know, Danny, we dissect all this stuff. We don't talk about people coming off the bench as much, but those, those are the outliers too. Is Sean Livingston going to have a game where, like he did uh, in 2015 back in Cleveland, I remember how, how brilliant he was. Is Ian Clark going to come out of the woodwork and all of a sudden, you know, have a 14 point game playing in, you know, 12 minutes or something like that, knock down threes. And the same thing, you know, is Darren Williams, Kyle Korver, are they all of a sudden going to illuminate and change the game and win one game with an outlier? Someone does something and has a spectacular run. There are always those peripheral players that, that can change a series because they help their team win a game and someone that you, you don't know about. And it doesn't always come back to Stephen Curry or LeBron James or Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. Someone gets in foul trouble. Can someone step in and, and make up the difference there? I, I, I don't know. There's just so many. How many Hall of Famers are we going to have eventually from these two teams, you know, when it's all said and done? How many Hall of Fame players, you know, 20 years from now, when we look back, are there going to be from these players? We, we have some, you know, players that are going to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, Kevin Durant's going to be there. Stephen Curry's going to be there. LeBron James is going to be there. Is Kyrie Irving? Is anybody else? Is Draymond Green going to be there? So I, I think that here's the way I look at it, all these other things we can dissect can take care of themselves. Who's going to play the games and who's going to play and, and play their style and who's going to make the mistakes? I think the big, be, be, more than anything else, uh, I trust the Warriors' defense and what they can do in disrupting. And, and, and I will say this. I've watched them very, very closely in the postseason. They switch. And I've never been an advocate of switching on just simple little pick and rolls. But I'm watching them. They switch, and they don't get hurt where they're switching. And, and part of it is Draymond Green because he patrols from side to side so well. And as I've said before, I think he's the best help defender I've ever seen. But their switches, they can, you know, they, when, especially when they're going small, like you, you, you call that little lineup of Draymond Green in there and Iguodala, uh, the Hampton Five or whatever it is, they make you pay the price. You don't gain an advantage. When they switch, usually you think, okay, got an advantage. But somehow they turn their switching into a disadvantage for the, the opposition. And, and I've watched again and again. I've watched, you know, kept some games taped and see how they do this, and they rarely get hurt, and they recover, and when they make a skip pass, they know where it's going. They, they really are very, very good in that, in that regard, and so I think they have an advantage there. So where do I see problems? Two areas. Are they going to be loosey-goosey with the ball and turn the ball over numerous times and give easy baskets, especially live ball turnovers. Are they going to do that? You know, Stephen Curry, I, we all love him and everything, but sometimes he gets a little careless with the basketball. He's always done that. I mean, even in college, he, he was careless with the basketball. He likes to try different things. Now, are, are we going to be a little more conservative with passing in the, in the half-court situation in the, in the finals here? And also, a thing that concerns me, as I said, Kevin Love's a terrific offensive rebounder. Tristan Thompson is big. And so, you know, Petrulli is going to have a little job in there uh, when he's in there and playing. And so, same with um, JaVale McGee and even David West to keep 
Tristan Thompson off the glass because he's very capable of giving the Cavs extra possessions. So those are the two things that, that worry me more than anything. The Warriors will play their game at both ends of the floor. I have confidence in that. They, they have the, the weaponry, and if they play defense, they get out into the open court, they're going to find their ways to score with Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, and Draymond Green, who handles the ball most often in a fast-break situation like that. So are they going to take care of the basketball, though? Are they going to get turnovers that are going to hurt them? And are they going to forget and not block off the glass because they're getting some switching and getting help defense and get out of position? When you do that, you lose offensive rebounding position, or excuse me, defensive rebounding position, and you allow terrific offensive rebounders to get inside when you're switching and covering and changing and going from side to side and you lose track like that. And, and that, to me, is, is something that could play into a game or two and be a series changer for you if, if they allow that. I'm going to be fascinated to watch all that. And something else that the Warriors can ha- can do to counter the Cavs' offensive rebounding is the idea that if they push in transition, they can make Cleveland pay for having guys crash the boards. Because if, the, if Cleveland puts two guys on the offensive glass and they don't get it, the Warriors are going to get an open look probably from three. And they've been able to scare sure. teams off that before. But Cleveland's a little bit different because Tristan Thompson moves well. He, he works hard to get back. So I'm going to be interested to see how that works out and also to see if those are the only two real big men that Cleveland plays or will Channing Fry actually get some minutes in this series. Yes. Do they have enough three-point shooting without Channing Fry? And maybe yes. And because he's a little more of a liability on defense, we all know that. And if he's out there, you're going to see him in pick and roll situations and someone trying to work him over. There, there are a lot of scenarios. There, there are a lot of things, but I, there's just something about the Warriors. I, I know they won 207 games over the last three years of most of any. We can give all these stats and we can talk about their number one offensive rating and their number two defensive rating as well next to San Antonio. And, and those do matter. I mean, we can, we can give you all the stats and, and can they keep that up, but can, can they play clean basketball and error-free basketball? And let's face it, I, I'm a realist in this respect. I'm waiting for Clay Thompson to snap out of it. He had a very poor shooting series in those four games. I think he was 16 of 47 overall from the field against San Antonio, and he didn't shoot that well in Utah. You know, a couple games here and there, a little more sporadic, but they're, they're going to need his scoring. They're going to need his jump shot from, from three-point range. I like that you brought up kind of the idea of margin for error because I've talked before about how the Warriors make it hard on everybody else, that you can't make mistakes against them. And Cleveland, both because of their individual talent and just because they're so good, they do the same thing. So I I think you're right that mistakes are going to be Mm -hmm. a definitive part of this series. Do you have have a prediction yet or are you still kind of processing where you think this is going to go? Do I have a prediction of who's going to win the series? Sure. Yes, I do. I I really believe, and it's almost, but not because of, more than the X's and O's and the percentage from the field and the number of threes that you make, for, for some reason, I just think there's a little destiny there that the Warriors are going to win the series. And I, I, I don't want to say too much. Let, let me put it this way. If one team dominates in this series, I think it'll be the Warriors. I'll put it that way. If there is a surprise and one team and it doesn't go 
six, seven games and all that, and if one team dominates, I think it's going to be the Golden State Warriors in that regard. That's what I will say. I'll phrase it a little bit differently, but I think it's the same basic point, is that I see more paths to victory, more ways that these games can shake out that the Warriors win, but Cleveland absolutely can win any single game and can absolutely win the series, which is part of the reason I'm so excited to see what happens. Right, yeah. I mean, as I say, a change of events could happen just in the flash. And as I say, I wouldn't be surprised, but I just have a gut feeling about this, uh, this Warriors team and who they are centrally in their mental toughness, their teamwork, their mental stability, all, everything about that, just their unity and their leadership. I just think that the leadership and one, one thing to point to that, I mean, my goodness, you know, people would have speculated. I know they did before when Steve Kerr only coached the two games in the Portland series, and then he's been back and forth, you know, on a trip or not on a trip or whatever, and and talking to them at halftime in the middle of a game, game one against San Antonio at home. And people would say, well, gee, that's, that's very disruptive, and that would only confuse. No, no, these guys don't get confused. They have great leadership, and it starts, well, it actually starts – at the top with Joe Lacob and Peter Goober and then Bob Myers and then down to the, the team with Steve Kerr, who, and we all know what an incredible individual he is. And then, but that carries over into Steph Curry because Steph Curry still to me is the leader of this team. Draymond Green in so many ways, maybe a vocal leader, but they have a pulse that's very different than I've seen for many, many years. And it's, it's a very unique, it's a unique pulse that weighs a lot in wins and losses but you can't really define it and you can't put your finger on it. It's something, I don't know, maybe I even say this, it could be a little spiritual in a way. There's some little extra there that I, I just think the Warriors have, and it's going to be a factor in the outcome of the series. I don't think I could put together a better way to end this, so thank you so much for taking the time. All right, Danny, thank you. Thanks again to Jim Barnett for taking the time to come on. You can watch him most of the year on the Warriors television broadcast as the color analyst, and I'm not sure if he's doing the finals on radio. I'm hoping so. I'm not sure. I forgot to ask him before we stopped talking. And if you want to, you can follow him on Twitter at UOGrad66. Love talking with Jim, one of my absolute favorites. And for those of you who haven't heard it, I think it was about a year ago, I did a, a great interview with him for Real Jam Radio, where we talked for about the Warriors for about 20 minutes, and then it devolved into me asking him stories about when he played, including a lot of Wilt Chamberlain material. It's part of it is, you know, that is more time sensitive, the stuff on, on that year's team. But the rest of it, I think, would still be plenty enjoyable now. And I thought about that a lot when I was working on the book and numerous other things. And I, I love talking to Jim. So I hope you enjoyed that too. One more episode before the finals actually start working on having another guest for that. But it's been fun to, to have these two conversations. You can hear my podcast with Chris Manning as well. That was Locked on Warriors for yesterday. So you can check that out. One other thing for those of you who are, are who are looking for this kind of thing, uh, the Locked on Podcast Network is actually hiring a national sales manager. So you can be a part of the fastest growing sports podcast network, trying to sell all of our great content, NBA, NFL, and everything else to national advertisers. You can reach out using Locked on Podcasts, plural, at gmail.com. So L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-P-O-D c-a-s-t-s at gmail.com locked on podcasts at gmail.com if you want to support this show you can leave a rating leave a review in the podcast player of your choice you can subscribe download every episode those are things you can always do to help and it's word of mouth always a big thing if you have any feedback good bad or indifferent danny larue nba at gmail.com at danny larue on twitter thank you so much for listening take care and make it a great day
Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. San Jose Sharks hockey is back, and we've got you covered five days a week at Locked On Sharks. I'm Kyle Demetrius. I'm J.D. Young. I'm Eric Fowl. Together, we make sure you're never without your Sharks programming. Will the Sharks make a trade for a right winger? We got you covered. Will Eric Carlson's groin hold up for the entire season? We've got you covered. Whatever happens with Team Teal every day, we've got you covered at Locked On Sharks five days a week on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.